My name is Minu Kim, uh, associate pastor here at St. Stephen's, and it is my joy to worship with you this morning and also with those uh, who are joining us online. Today's scripture message on this second Sunday of Advent is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. <clears throat> a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. There is this popular, very popular children's book uh, titled The Giving Tree by Shaw Silverstein. Anyone know of this book? It is about a tree that loves and gives unconditionally for a boy. When the boy was a child, the tree provided a place to play, climbing, swinging from the branches, carving into her bark, and eating her apples. And as the boy gets Older, as he grows, the less time he spends with the tree. But the tree still loves and still gives. The boy, who is now a grown-up, takes the tree's apples to make money, takes her branches to build, build a house, and take her trunk to build a boat to sail. And when the tree has nothing else to give, as a bare stump, she still gives herself as a resting place, inviting the boy, who is now an elderly man, to sit. And the book ends with its tagline, and the tree was happy. To me personally, uh, the tree's love for the boy reminded me of this unconditional love, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us so that we may have abundant life. Or maybe that's what I learned as a child. I even used this story as a part of my children's message in my previous churches as an adult. 
But in the past couple years, I learned that not everyone was fond of this book and its lesson. More so, a lot of people found the book's message highly problematic. The main criticism is that the book illustrates a relationship that is one-sided, transactional, and abusive. The boy continues to take things from the tree for selfish reasons and does not show any gratitude. And the tree continues to give away parts of her body to make the boy happy to the state where the tree is reduced to a bare stump. What people are pointing out is that this is not a model of relationship we should teach our kids. Rather, what we should promote is a mutual loving relationship with healthy boundaries. So when you go on the internet, you can find many parodies uh, to the giving tree, either poking fun at the relationship between the boy and the tree, or like what we see on the screen, giving alternative endings to the story. And what I ultimately want to point out is the honest symbolism of a stump, as we see on this picture. It is not as sweet as the book paints to be. What does a stump really symbolize? It symbolizes death, end of life, hopelessness. And this is also the story told in the scripture beginning last week's reading from Genesis chapter 3. Through Adam and Eve's self-serving actions, humanity is no longer right with God and separated from God. And the consequence of sin is death. This is what the fall represents. What comes immediately after the fall is the story of Cain and Abel in chapter 4 of Genesis. One brother taking the life of the other for personal gain. And we see this violence against one another throughout the scripture as well as throughout human history. Family against family, village against village, tribe against tribe, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Again, upon the fall, the very good things God has placed in creation, the tree is now stands reduced as a mere lonely stump, a symbol of hopelessness. <clears throat> and it was also the case in the background of today's scripture lesson from Isaiah. What God had promised to King David and the people of Israel was an everlasting kingdom that would endure forever, a place where God's people would no longer be bothered, and a home where the wicked would no longer violate the meek, vulnerable, and poor. So the hopeful expectation was that this promise would be fulfilled through the royal lineage of David. But the reality was not the case. The kingdom David had built was now divided, and his descendant Ahaz was nothing but a disappointment and embarrassment as a king. King Ahaz's idolatry, unfaithfulness, and wickedness led the kingdom to the brink of destruction. Everything meaningful to God's people was about to be crumbled underground, to the ground. 
their city, their temple, their homes, their families, and more. The mighty tree in David had been reduced to a stump of Jesse, who is the father of King David. Everything God had provided for the people to enjoy was now gone. The possibility to grow further and bear fruit was gone. The context of today's scripture is the state of utter hopelessness. And God's people could not help but ask themselves, why had God forsaken them and forsaken the very promise made with David? And in the midst of this utter hopelessness, the prophet Isaiah sang, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. What, this, what does this mean? It meant God had not abandoned the very promise to establish the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom through the house of David. It meant God had not abandoned God's people. It was a message of hope that a newness of life would come out from the stump and a branch of justice and righteousness would sprout from Jesse's roots. And this branch would be nothing like what was exhibited in Ahaz and other kings before. In fact, it would be the very opposite. This branch would be the expected Messiah whom the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And, the, and this spirit's anointing would lead to the coming king's practice of righteousness and equity. He would not be influenced by gestures of the wealthy or swayed by the manipulations of the powerful. In other words, this coming king would be righteous, just, and faithful, and he would not let the wicked prey upon, exploit, and abuse the meek, vulnerable, and poor. The image of the kingdom established through this coming king is marked and foreshadowed with peace. Under his kingship and governance, all relationships of hostility and threat will be no more. The wolf shall live with the lamb. We can see this as defying the natural order as we are accustomed to. We can also see this as a restoration of the garden, what God's great creation was originally meant to be, putting an end to the consequence of the fall. We see a direct reference to the fall when Isaiah mentioned the baby and snake together. He says, the nursing child shall play over the hole of, hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put its hand on the adder's den which is reversing the curse of Genesis 3.15, the enmity between the snake and the woman's offspring. So Isaiah sings of this restored, peaceable kingdom where there is no longer distinction or violence between prey and predator, between the wicked and vulnerable. 
Isaiah gives the very reason why the people should not cease hoping despite the current state of hopelessness. Because God will follow through on the promise of establishing such a kingdom through the house of David. And as you are aware, we Christians see the, the story of Christmas as the fulfillment of this very promise. A shoot came out from the, Je the thump, stump of Jesse in the birth of Jesus Christ. And through his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, Jesus proclaimed the good news of God's kingdom to all people. And by the way, this is the reason why the Gospel of Matthew begins with the long genealogy of Jesus Christ, to point out the connection between God's covenants in the Old Testament and the incarnation of Jesus Christ, to make clear that God followed through. This season of Advent that we're celebrating is a season of waiting. And the posture of waiting is the posture of hoping. We wait because we hope. And we hope because we wait. Jesus Christ is the reason why we hope and why we continue to hope despite the feelings of hopelessness we encounter. And we wait not only for the coming of the eight pound six ounce baby Jesus, but we also wait for the return of the resurrected ascended Jesus Christ in the second coming. Because the restoration of God's creation and the establishment of God's kingdom is still unfolding. We continue to wait for the peaceable kingdom where a great multitude that no one could count come together from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages. A new heaven and new earth where Christ fully reigns, where death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more and where all things are made new. We are still waiting. This is what Advent is all about, waiting amidst hopelessness, hoping for a shoot to grow out of a mere lonely stump, and never giving, never giving up or compromising the image of a restored garden of peace and reconciliation, the kingdom of God. There is this world-renowned professor from Germany named Ergen Moltmann, uh, who is considered one of the most influential Christian theologians in the 20th century. Jürgen Moltmann, uh, he is best known for books such as Theology of Hope and The Crucified God, which most seminarians are asked to read. I also read his books and had to write essays on it and I can say that his works influenced me a great deal. When Jürgen Moltmann visited Duke Divinity School to speak, to share lectures, he shared a story about one of the faculties at Duke named Frank Baker, a British scholar of the Wesleyan traditions. So Moltmann began his story. I have a story to tell you about Frank Baker and his wife Nellie. And he, Moltmann, said that during the Second World War, there was a German prisoner of war camp on the northeast coast of England for those who were captured, cut, 
while trying to attack bomb England. And the young pastor and his wife served a small Methodist circuit close by. They felt called by God to reach out to these foreign soldiers in some way. So they went to the, the, the prisoner war camp and talked to the commander and asked for permission to take a German prisoner with them to church each Sunday, to share in word and sacrament, and then to eat their Sunday dinner together in their home every Sunday. And the commander agreed. So Sunday after Sunday, a steady flow of German soldiers worshiped and ate with the bakers in their home throughout the course of war. After sharing this story, Moltmann paused, looked intently to whom he was speaking, and said, one of those soldiers was a young man named Jürgen Moltmann. And I want you to know that the seed of hope was planted in my heart around Frank and Nellie Baker's Sunday dinner table. The seed of hope is often planted in the space of peace. And the space of peace is often created with a posture of hope. I think that's what I heard in this story from Jürgen Moltmann. Frank and Nellis Baker's compassion and really courage to invite the German soldiers was the Lord's prayers, Lord's prayer in action. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In the midst of this utterly violent and hopeless war, Frank and Nellie Baker's hope in the peaceable kingdom remained and sprouted inside their church and inside and around their dinner table. And their space of peace planted a seed of hope in another's heart and eventually in the hearts of countless people. Advent is not a countdown to Christmas, but it is a reminder of why we are a people who wait. We wait because of hope, peace, joy, and love. We wait because of Christ. We wait because of the kingdom of God. We live in a world where the church is no longer considered a safe space for everyone. That's why the church continues to split, creating a safe space for each tribe. That's why Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America. That's why more and more people who left the church for various reasons are not coming back. But the table we are about to remember, we are about to celebrate, we are about to partake. This table tells a different story. It tells a story that we, all of us are invited. We are forgiven. We are reconciled with God and with one another. We who are many and diverse are members of God's body. 
We are beloved. We are redeemed. Ours is the kingdom of God. This table is why, why we hope and why we continue to wait. This is why John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, asked us to celebrate Holy Communion as often as we could, reminding us that we are a people who wait. Sharing a table piece with joy, grounded in love, until Christ comes again with the heavenly banquet, where we all get to celebrate Hope is a difficult word for a lot of people, especially during this troubling times where we hear different difficult, violent news each and every day. And my prayer is that the seed of hope is planted again in our hearts and in the hearts of many, not only through this table, but also through the table that we bring out to the world. Amen.